Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. Open our eyes and our ears. Open our hearts that we might understand you and learn today the lessons and the things that you want to teach us. We glorify you and praise you. In your son, Yushua's name, amen. Well done on the reading. Very nice. You did a good job. Tough stuff in there, yeah. <laughs> Tough names, all those names. It's interesting, yeah. <laughs> All right, so we are in Numbers, and uh, bomb, bar, bomb. <laughs> yes, for some reason it, it fle- uh, bar made bar, yes. So the Numbers, and it's interesting that uh, we're going to talk today about, there's a... Our New Testament portion is, is Revelation chapter 7. And if you can't remember what Revelation 7 is about, there's a numbering going on in Revelation 7 where they're uh, sealing 144,000. And so we've got a numbering going on here in uh, Numbers chapter 1. And uh, so we're going to talk about this interesting connection that the two have. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if I have any scriptures about our t- prophet portion, so we're going to be four, maybe five slides in the Torah portion, and then we're pretty much, most of it's going to be in our Revelation portion. So uh, feel free to jump in. We like uh, people to share. So this next slide, we're in Numbers 2-1. I'm sorry, Numbers should be 1-1. One, one. I don't know why it says 2-1. So anyway... This is something I saw, it's my, just my interpretation of how I read it, so I want to share it with you. So it says, Now Yahweh spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, The sons of Israel shall camp, each by his own standard, with the banners of their father's households. They shall camp around the tent of meeting. Well, when I read that, I thought, that's like a, to me, it's like a circle. So when I looked up the word, the word is sabib. And it means surrounding, roundabout, but it says the basic meaning of the root seems to involve the idea of turning or going around as such. It is found also in Ugaritic and Aramaic. Uh, a perhaps kindred root seems to have been productive in the Southeast Semitic tribes and Akkadian, where they use the word sababu, which means to encircle. And so I thought over here, you have this plus sign of the camp that's the traditional picture you see. But you notice the big gap between the tribes. I mean, it's like if you're, if you're trying to protect the, the, the tribes and what's in the center, you would think you would have it encompassing and around. Kind of like back when they would do the, uh, uh, the wagons in a circle to protect. So, you know, you, you, you wouldn't leave open areas. So when I did this around... I thought it would make sense if they were encircled around the tabernacle. Uh, The purple would be the Levites, and then the other big portions, the tribes, 
in the portion they had. So just my interpretation of what I'm seeing the word saying, which makes more sense about protecting, and you would have to come through tribes to get back into the center of, of the camp. So very interesting thing. Again, I may, it may be totally the other way, but uh, it would seem like encircling, as the word seems to imply, would make more sense. Okay, so in Numbers 1, it says, Yahuwah spoke to Moshe in the wilderness of Sinai, in the tent. If you remember back in Leviticus 1, it says he spoke to him from the tent. Now we have a, a difference here of Moses is being spoken to while outside, and God is speaking to him from in the tent. Now Moses is now in the tent with him. What has happened that made a transition from outside to in? I would say to you, it's the holiness code that we talked about over the last couple of weeks of what Leviticus encompasses. Telling the people, this is how you shall approach me, and this is how you shall live your life set apart from the world. If you do that, you get to approach me and come in. And so now you see that Moses actually, this is really happening to him. The beginning of Leviticus, he's being spoken to outside. And now that Leviticus is over, God calls him in. So it's very interesting. I hope and pray that those things of Leviticus are happening to each and every one of us, that a transition is being made, that we are being separated from the world, learning how God his kingdom operates so that we are separated from everything else and get to approach him as Moses did. So you can see that this word meeting, the tent of meeting, tent of witness in some of your texts, is this word ya'ad. Uh, a derivative of it would be moed. But it, it is to a point, I like this word betrothed. And we're going to talk about that here in a second. Assemble, meet, set. It's a meeting place. It's an appointed place. But could it be a betrothal place, as the word says? It's, it's used sometimes as betrothal. Let's look and see. We're going to break this word down a little bit. So the word ya'ad, the basic meaning of this root is to a point in which, since it occurs in the Qumran War Scroll, the Thanksgiving Psalms and the Messianic Rule. The ASV and RSV similar, except the ASV uses espoused and RSV designate and ASV agreed. The root is used in the call stem for the betrothal of a woman. Well, that's interesting. Could this tent of meeting be a place where there's a betrothal going on? Hmm. Very interesting, isn't it? An appointment where betrothal takes place. Very interesting. So then a fall form is used for Elohim's meeting Israel at the sanctuary and for the assembling of the congregation for worship in the sense of appearing. Uh, for other purposes. It is of interest that Elohim's meeting with Israel, representative at the mercy seat, is an appointment meeting. So also were the other times when Elohim met with the people before the tabernacle. The people were expected to come, and God promised to meet them there. He keeps his promises. And so he says, if you'll come on Shabbat, and you gather, just like they came at in Acts chapter 2, they came for the feast, and what happened? God met them there. And so we expect God to meet us here, don't we? And, and he does. I mean, that worship was amazing. It was really awesome. So Numbers 1-2 says, 
and take a sense of all the congregation. The congregation or company of fighters is Ida. This is a key term in numbers. Generally, the NJPS rendered it as community, which we would like to think that we are a community here. It takes it a little bit more uh, personal. I think we even say here, building community from a Hebraic understanding. But also, depending on the context, it's an assembly, a band, a company, a faction. So you can see that this idea of assembly in the New Testament, they transitioned it into church, but it all comes from this word, community, congregation, and assembly. So church means this, okay? When applied to the Israelites, Edah can represent the entire populace, only the adult male fighting force, or only the chieftains. Because in contemporary English, the word community is gender inclusive, it is too imprecise a rendering when the context suggests a male-only sense. This is one such case for the census is restricted to males of fighting age. The census had a military overtone, and therefore, women like minors were not included. The ancestral houses are a person's descent was traced through one's father and back through the father's father. This lineage was called ancestral house. You'll see this phrase house used a lot in scripture. It was part of a larger family, a mishpacha, and in turn, part of a tribe, a mate. All right? If you have questions or comments, raise your hand. The microphone will make its way to you. Numbers 1-3. So from 20 years old and upward, all in Israel who are able to go to war, you and Aaron shall list them company by company. So the 20 years is the stipulated age for military service. The age of retirement was 60. See, you're all getting robbed. They want you to go to 62, 67, pushing it to 70, but God says at 60, you're good to go. So the priestly service was from 30 to 50. So they, they had this service from 30 to 50, but the fighting men, it was from 20 to 60. So very interesting. Raise your hand if you have questions. So Numbers 2-2. Two, two. The people of Israel shall camp each by his own standard. This word is the Hebrew word degel. And the custom of distinguishing tribes and armies by some ensign appears to be of great antiquity, really old, and was common among the Egyptians and the Babylonians and the Assyrians and also other nations. The degel signified a distinct military unit. Sometimes it depicted an animal figure, uh, the Roman eagle, for example, they would have on theirs. But what the Israelite standard showed is, not, is no longer known. Some think that it was the constellations that are the 12 around in the heavens. Whatever they were, the very omission of their description suggests that everyone was familiar with them. The term, here our Hebrew term, also means the division distinguished by the standard. Here, apparently, each group of three tribes. Such usage occurs elsewhere in later Jewish military colony at Elephantine. Thus, an alternative rendering here is also unit. You guys are quiet today. Numbers 2-2. Two, two. Oh, Bob, go ahead. First, if you don't mind, I give a shout out to Tammy. She's not feeling well, so I want to say Ataha Karen or Charlie Ahava Charlie. But anyway, um, back to this. On your first slide, or even right here, 
I think one key thing to look at when it says up there, they shall camp facing, I think it's Minagagad, if I could say it, pronounce it correctly, facing. That's that word from uh, the woman creator. She's the Ezer, Kenegdo. Uh, uh, it's that Neged, yes, that's the opposing or facing. Very, very similar. So, yeah, continue. So, by keeping their facing of the tabernacle, such you were saying about the circle as a wagon would in the old days. Mm-hmm. In this case, they're all facing the tabernacle. We would not typically turn our back on our enemies unless we are focused on the one high God who has our back and is protecting us. Well said. So that's when here, facing the tent of meeting is very key to pick up on that word because they don't have to worry what's coming to their back. He's got that as long as you keep your eye on him. As long as the pillar of fire is above us, what have we got to worry about, right? I mean, who's going to approach a pillar of fire and want to do battle? That's crazy. That would be insanity. Well said. Good, that's, that's awesome. Okay. A couple other hands. I have a question. Sure. Um, they're 20 years old. They've been in the desert at this point 40 years. Well, yeah, here they're, they haven't yet, but yes, they end up being in the desert 40 years. No, at this point that he's counting the 20 years old and older, how long have they been I, in the desert? I think it said we were reading it was the second year. Second after, year. Yeah, I think it was the second year. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Am I right? It was, did I read that? It, was, it said the second year, yes. I'm pretty sure it said. Yes. So... To my understanding, what's being described here is the Merkava. The what? The Merkava, the fiery chariot. Mm. So in the description from the prophets, it talks about wheels on each side <laughs> spinning, fiery wheels. Ah, so, very nice. And they say the throne of God is the Merkava. Wow, nice, good word. Okay, so I want to share this with you. So the Numbers 2, 2, it says, The people of Israel shall camp each by his own standard with the banners of their father's house. So the word banner is the word atot, uh, possibly colored flags. The Midrash suggests that the flags were embroidered and that the colors resembled the precious stones in the priestly breastplate. The Midrash also believes that other nations learned the institution of colored flags from Israel. The camp at a distance to avoid encroachment on the tent in Joshua 3.4. This distance is 2,000 cubits, about 3,000 feet. In later Jewish or Hebraic tradition, this became the distance one was permitted to walk on the Shabbat outside the city walls. Okay, so from this point on, and I will say to you as... I was just, Father, show me what to talk about, show me what to talk about, show me what to talk about. In, in prayer and just trying to understand, hear from him, and nothing's coming as I'm reading numbers, I read, read it again, I'm looking at the prophet, and sometimes I read the New Testament first, but this time I didn't, so then I'm encouraged by the Spirit to go over to Revelation. So I go over to Revelation, I read it, I read it, and I read it, and then something comes. And so 
Praise be to the Almighty that he's faithful to send something. And so this connection of the numbering is what we want to, I want to spend the time that we have in the rest of this message to share with you what was laid upon my heart and what I came to understand. So in Revelation, I'm going to give you a prelude to what, what is taking place just before we get to 7-1. So in chapter 6, we have the first seal, the white horse and rider. Second seal, the red horse and rider. The third seal, the black horse and rider. The fourth seal, the pale horse and rider. The fifth seal, the souls of the martyrs cry out. And the sixth seal, the great earthquake. That scripture says is like no earthquake humanity has ever seen from creation to this point. It's so evidently so severe that it flattens all mountains except one. Everything becomes a flat plain. So the plains of the great plains of uh, the U.S. don't have anything to worry about about all the lofty mountains because everything's going to come down to their level. So we have a couple hands. Go ahead, uh, Valerie, and then we'll come to. So I have a question. Um, throughout the book of Revelation, I notice you know there's seven seals, and then another section it's talking about the seven bowls that are poured out, and another part it's talking about seven something else. And I'm just curious because I've read the Revelation, the book of Revelation, a lot of times, and it still goes over my head. So I'm wondering if the seals and the bowls and the other things, are they all talking about the same thing or is that, or those separate things? Like I'm not so sure. So I presented something last week about the chapter 26 of Leviticus saying that God was going to punish seven times. If he didn't obey, he would punish him seven times. If they still didn't obey, he would punish seven. And I put the two together of the uh, four different times that the seven plagues, trumpets, bowls, all these things are poured out, mirror the four different times he says he will punish them seven times. And I think, that there, I think now that there's a connection between what he's saying in Leviticus 26 about the punishment four times, four sevens, and in Revelation there is four different sevens being poured out. I think that they're connected. That's my, my opinion. But if you didn't catch that, go back to last week and you'll see that. Yes. My question is the same as hers, but I have a few more details. The, the second set is in 17. I think it's 17. Um, but it's the seven angels that have these, these vials. It says, Bowls. in my scripture, it says vials yeah. of the wrath of mm -hmm. Yahuwah. And the seventh one refers to an earthquake as it does in chapter 7. 6. Is it 6? Yeah, chapter six, chapter. where the yeah, I'm sorry. So you have six. So the earthquake in I, I I remember an earthquake in six, but in seventeen it talks about flattening the mountains, and 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 stones coming down, and the people. Interesting thing. I'll just throw a side note is. In two different places, it talks about the things coming down on man and or the problems that are coming to man, and they're cursing God instead of instead of saying they're sorry and asking <laughs> forgiveness, they're yeah. cursing him. Mm -hmm. And it seems to make a point. I'm I'm going a sidetrack here, but it makes a it seems to make a point. They should be asking his forgiveness yes. that it might maybe he'd let up 
but it's but they're not they're just cursing him but this earthquake is what seems to tie for me the two things how could the earth be flattening out mountains and then again the earthquake is flattening out mountains it just seems like it could be the same thing hmm. so that's why i'm i'm building on yep. what she was asking the same it, question it's, it's interesting some of the things are hard to understand and comprehend but god is uh, the creator, he can make things happen. If he can cause the sun to stand still, which would seem uh, you know, impossible to do, he can do all those things. So I'm trusting what the word says and believing in it, even, may, even though I may not understand it. Bob. Last week you were talking about the curses. You said, oh, remember to bring it up this week. In Leviticus 26, there's 49 curses. Mm. When we enter into numbers, and we're in the wilderness. This is not in heaven. This is talking about a place of total reliance on God, a place of open miracles, a place of learning about God, and a place of learning about ourselves, a place of learning about freedom, a place of preparation for fruitfulness, an unwanted place, a temporary place, a place of death. So that's what all this here desert time is. Then we, as those who now know the Torah, because it was told back in Leviticus, in the curses, when we get to Deuteronomy 28, it goes to, instead of 49 curses, it goes to 98 curses. It doubles, because now we know better. So, just as we It's go interesting, and you're saying the curses, and uh, Barry mentioned the vial. In, in the constellation called Aquarius, he has two vials in his hand. And I've said this before, say it again, so he's pouring out these two vials on the earth. And whether or not you have, a, if you've got a great relationship with him and you're walking in his ways and you're doing what he's asked you to do, you're going to have the one vial of blessing. But if you're doing the opposite, that other vial contains wrath, the curses, the, the judgments that are coming here that Revelation talks about and the prophets talk about it all over and over. And of course, the purpose of the judgment is to bring the, repentant, the person to repentance but as we know, people are not going to make it there. They're still not gonna, they're gonna shake their fists. But God wants everybody to make it. The, the judgments are for that purpose. So I wanted to give you an idea of where we're at. And so the, the next thing after the great earthquake is the ceiling of the 144,000. Now you would have to be numbering to be able to know how many there were. So obviously there's a numbering and there's a ceiling. So as I, my second or third time reading this, the word ceiling just, it just, just hits me. And I'm like, I want to dig into ceiling. What is this about? What does it mean to be sealed? So we're going to find out who is being sealed here and what that ceiling is. And when we get to the end, if you'll remind me, Ralphie had about five different things in his message in Acts that are right in tune with what we're talking about today. So again, God's interweaving uh, messages because he wants things talked about. And so we're going to see this here in a second. So a numbering is happening. Revelation 7, 8 says, And after these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude. What came out of Egypt? It says a great multitude came out. What does God say he's going to gather from the nations? He promised Abraham a great multitude, which cannot be counted from every nation, all tribes and peoples and tongues. Now we're going to look at this we, I wanted to know, what does nation, tribe, people, and tongue mean? 
How many of you like to know who that is? Because if we know what those are, we will know who is the multitude. Okay? It says that they're going to be before the throne and before the Lamb, but it says they're going to be clothed in white robes. Well, that's a key statement because we've talked about Revelation 9.18 or 18. I forget now where it's at. It talks about the woman is clothed in white linen and the white linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And go to your scriptures and, and look in the Greek of the word righteous there and you're going to find out that that Greek word for righteous that represents this linen that she's wearing, it means the deeds of the Mosaic Torah. That the white linen is that she is doing the Torah is what that says. I'm, please do it for yourself. You will be stunned and shocked when you see it. And so Numbers 1-2 says, take a sense of all, you see this parallel that this numbering is going on. So Revelation 1 says, and after this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth that no one, no wind would blow on the earth or the sea or any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising sun, having a seal of the living God. Now, try to picture if you could, you're looking east, and you're seeing the sun rising, and an angelic being is coming up out of the sun. So I would encourage you to Google this phrase, the winged disc. The winged, W-I-N-G-E-D, winged disc. This winged disc was found in the seal of Hezekiah. Now, Egypt has this image plastered over their uh, stone things. And what's interesting is, is in this, it's, it's, it's this like two wings coming out, and there's an orb or a circle in the middle. And in the circle stands a man from here up out of the circle, and he's got a headdress on, and he has something in his hand. What does it say that he has in his hand? The seal. And this man in this, also Google Hezekiah's seal. They just found it in the last five years. Has the same image of this winged disc. So this guy has this thing in his hand. And it's a circle. He's got a circle in his hand. And so we're going to talk about this seal. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels who, who it was granted to harm the earth and the sea. So Romans 4.11 says, He received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while uncircumcised, while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believed without being circumcised, that righteousness might be credited to them. 2 Timothy 2.19 says, Nevertheless, the firm foundation of Elohim stands, having this seal. Yahweh knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of Yahweh is to abstain from wickedness. Now I can tell you just on these two things that the seal has something to do with righteousness. It has to do with abstaining from wickedness. <laughs> and... If, if you want further clue, as I told you, the, the, the linen, it says it's the deeds of the Torah. So 
this gives you a clue of what this ceiling must be. Okay? Now, if you're the adversary, and you've been in heaven, you know how God operates, you know his kingdom, you know, you know how everything goes, because he operated by it before the fall. And if you know that there's a certain seal that everybody's going to have, and that's a very important thing to Elohim, and this is something that, uh, it's the linen, it's the, it's the righteousness, it's this very thing, which is the Torah. His number one goal is to keep that from coming into your heart. Number one goal. Whatever he's got to do after, after Yeshua dies on the cross, he goes, man, the worst nightmare to him has just happened. The king of, the king of kings have come down in the flesh. I thought I had him. He dies and he erases all the debts of death amongst humanity that snatches them right out of my hand. So I've got a new plan. I'm going to get them to think that the Torah is done away with. So they don't have it anymore. It's gone. Great plan, right? So this word sealed is the Greek word tsragizo. And the Greek behind sealed is this verb which means to set a seal or to mark with a seal. This comes from the nouns phragis, which refers to a signet ring. The picture on your left is a stamp from a ring. The picture on your right is actually a, 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 a seal cylinder. And they would roll the cylinder over clay or over uh, uh, whatever they were wanting to seal. I believe that the seal that we're going to receive is not the ring, but the rolling of the cylinder. I think the rolling of the cylinder is what we are going to receive. That's my, just my personal thought on is the rolling of the cylinder. And so, but what is on the cylinder? What is the cylinder? What is the ceiling? What, what does it say? <laughs> it, it refers to a signet ring that possessed a distinctive mark. There are many, many illustrations of a seal, both from ancient and modern times. We can see many of these by showing the four pictures that sealing provides. First, sealing pictures acquisition. By this we mean that sealing pictures a finished transaction. Think about that when we're talking about covenant, bud covenant, right? First and foremost, sealing paints a legal picture. Ooh, I want you to know that Everything's legal here. When, when everything is finished, when Yeshua said, it is finished, that's a legal picture. He had settled it, everything. Everything was done to the very last letter. Every dot, every, every mark was done. No loopholes in what he had done. The adversary had no way to, of wiggling in. And aren't you glad there's no way for him to steal redemption from you? It shows the completion of a legal transaction. A modern illustration of a seal is a notary public, right? A notary signs and seals a document, thereby finishing the transaction and sealing the agreement. Spiritually, the indwelling Holy Spirit is proof of the finished transaction of our redemption. Second, sealing pictures absolute ownership. Now, if you're sealed, you're absolutely owned by the King of Kings, 100%. So if you're sealed, you are owned, no questions about it. But the adversary wants to come over and steal some of the sheep in his pen. And you know what? You can, that can happen if you allow him in, if you, allow, if you entertain him and you say, look, look what's coming over the fence. Let me go over and wander over there and have a conversation with him. 
No. Stay far away. Avoid the very appearance of evil, right? The ancients would put their seal on animals and even slaves to prove ownership. In fact, the branding of animals is thought to have begun as early as 2000 BC. Of course, branding cattle and horses is still done today. A brand is registered with the particular state in which the owner lives, and that brand shows legal ownership. The same is also true today of a patent or a copyright. So do you think that God would not seal you and, and show that he owns you? That's, it's everywhere. It's from the very ancient of ancient times. Third, sealing pictures authenticity. Oh. So the adversary's like, I'm not so sure if this person's 100% on board with this Torah deal. God says, oh, really? Puts that seal on the head. End of discussion. Authenticity. He's, that person's authentically on board with me and my ways. <laughs> That's so awesome. How, how we're glad and how we want to be sealed by the Most High because of what it represents, what it describes about who we are and how the adversary has no claim over those who have the seal. Fourth, sealing pictures assurance. Absolute security. Someone brought up the idea of, you know, you, 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 Bob brought up the idea of this, you're, you're secure. Whenever you've got God that's the king and the one that's, you don't have to worry about your back. So it br brings about security. I am sealed by the king of kings, the one who created everything. I don't have to worry. I've got his seal on me. Oh. And so one of the most important aspects of sealing is this one concerning assurance. All three New Testament references of sealing are in the aorist tense, a once-for-all past action. Yes. So this seal, will this be visible, like, to everyone in the world? Like, you're actually going to have, like, something in your head that everyone in the world is going to see that? You know, I, I, I believe that many of us may already have the sealing, and I believe that the spiritual world all know who has it. I believe it's a, a mark that, now let me, let me show you this. So in a sense, yes. So the actual rolling that came across my forehead is only seen by the heavenly and the, the, the kingdom of darkness. But the earthly world knows that I'm sealed, like it said in Revelation, by my deeds. My white linen is evident because I'm doing the deeds of the Mosaic Torah. So I am displaying my sealing by what I do. <laughs> That's so awesome. Glad you asked that. I may not have even been able to say that if you hadn't asked that. Yes. So Woody and Nicola and me and Donnie were just talking about two things this morning has to do with 144,000 <laughs> and the white linen. And I've read this before, and I know that Dane has shared this with you before from 4th Ezra, but it bears repeating, so I'm just going to read Please this. Please do it. 2nd uh, Ezra chapter 2, verse 38. Arise up and stand. Behold the number of those that be sealed in the feast of Yahuwah, which are departed from the shadow of the world, and have received glorious garments of Yahuwah. Take your number, O Zion, and shut up those of, those, those of yours that are clothed in white, which have fulfilled the Torah of Yahuwah. 
Wow. How beautiful is that? Now, I'm going to give you my opinion about the 144,000. I don't believe that's a literal total number. Just like, I'm going to give you an example. In, in the scriptures, it says that the firstborn of Israel was 22,000. Now, that cannot be a literal number because we're talking just the males that went to war was 600,000. Are you telling me that out of 600,000 men, there was only 22,000 firstborn? Uh-uh. And I've, I've researched and I looked that many times the numbers represent a, it's like there's a bigger number behind it. And so the 144,000 represents a, when it's talking about 12,000 from each tribe, but it really incorporates, I mean, because it says it's a number that can't be counted. So it's a big number, way more than 144,000 that are receiving this seal, my opinion. I'm sure there's people that would disagree with me, but that's my opinion. So you're saying those of us that are doing Torah, and I know what you mean. However, if I word it this way, that Torah is the standard we live our life by. Right. Because if we don't know who we are, then we're easily persuaded that, oh, no, 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 this is just for us. We are the chosen people. For you, it's optional. Yeah. Or you don't need to do this because you're not of the chosen people. Right. It's not until we know who we are yes. that we can stand firmly to say, we do Torah because it is the boundary of the, the standard that we live by. Or we will hear people say, no, 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 that's done away with. You don't have to do that anymore. And until we know who we are and stand firmly in that, then we can say, no, I know who I am. I know who my God is. I know the standard he set for me to live by. Amen. Amen. Identity is key. Yes. Uh, I thought that it was just 144,000. And when they said that it couldn't be counted, I thought that the great multitude was added to the 144,000. I thought it was like, the great multitude, and then the 144,000, like the mixed thing, I guess. And there are some that say that it's, the, it's just 144. I personally, I'm leaning towards this is a bigger number. So that's where I'm at with it, yes. And then we'll come back to, Deborah's got her hand up there as well. So when you started the service, you talked about the warriors, the army of God was from 20 to 60. The priestly service is from 20 to 50. 30 to 50. 30 to 50. So shouldn't that still be in effect? Because God's words are eternal. Everyone abiding by his kingdom, yes. Right. So our walk here in the carnal, maybe some of these teachers that have fulfilled that age are supposed to be in an elder role and let the new generation come up that would receive the anointing that goes with being a priest, correct? Amen. Yep. Yes. I was just remembering that I had heard, it might have been here that I heard it, but the idea that, that John was looking at, so he was, he was in heaven and, he, and he, was, he heard a lion, but then when he turned, he saw a lamb as if it were slain. And so it was, surprise, like, it was a surprising thing that he saw because he was hearing the Lion of Judah. So then, um, then he heard the number, 144,000, and then he looked and he saw a multitude. 
So the idea being that it was not what he expected or that it was something, he heard this, but it was actually this. Yeah. It, it, it's just that idea of yeah. he heard 144,000, but he saw a multitude. Right. Okay. So I want to move on to this next slide. So in Psalm 146 and Hosea 4, it says this. I'll read 146 first. Who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them? Who keeps faith forever? Hosea 4, 1 says, you might adjust my volume down a little bit. It seems a little too loud. Listen to the word of Yahuwah, O sons of Israel. For Yahuwah has a case against the inhabitants of the land because there is no faithfulness or kindness or knowledge of Elohim in the land. Both of these words are the Hebrew word emet. It's the Aleph, Mem, and the Tav. Now, I found it amazing that your brother Judah, almost everywhere, they believe that the seal of God is truth, emet, universally. They believe that the seal of God is this word, truth, Emmet, which is what Yeshua told Pilate he was. So if you want to know what the seal of God is that's going on your forehead, I believe too that it is truth, Emmet. And Emmet stands for faithfulness. So, He's looking for a bride that is faithful and has the white garments on, the white linen, showing that she has been faithful in doing the deeds of the Mosaic Torah. And if she's showing that, she gets that little cylinder roll across her forehead, Emmet, Emmet, faithful and true. And what's awesome is Emmet represents the Aleph and the Tav, who Yeshua says that he is, and it represents this idea of Mem. Ward had an idea of Mem. Now, how many of you know that the letter Mem represents water? Can you share the two scriptures or whatever the scriptures that you had that you talked to me about earlier? About the water? Um, yeah, in Psalm 22, uh, I'll just read a couple of verses around to give it context, but in starting in verse 12, many bulls encounter, encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all of my bones are out of joint. <laughs> there's the men pouring out like water, and then there's another one that you had, had mentioned to me. Well, I'd mentioned that that was a reference to the fact that Yeshua is the heir, the firstborn son, the heir of the Father. And as in that position, he has another title, the son of the cup. It is his responsibility to bring the bread and the drink offering and pour it out and call out the name of the Father. And when he was on the cross, he was this son of the cup, but he was also the cup the living water being poured out, which is what it states here, and he was also the bread. So this whole idea of the last day of Sukkot is this libation offering, which Yeshua points to. He says, he's basically saying, I am that. And we, he says, all who are thirsty come to me and drink. He is that water that's the water of life. It's his life that we're taking in, and that's the mem of the emmet. 
We've got the olive on the top and the water in the middle. And this is the seal of God that his children receive on the forehead. What a beautiful thing. Yes. The word emmet. So there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. <laughs> when you look at the aleph, mem, tav, which you have up there for emmet, aleph is the first letter, tav is the end. Mem is or in the middle. Is the middle. The first two letters are M, which means mother, and the last two letters are Mem and Atav, which is moot, which is death. So through life, from birth to death, we are to seek truth and faithfulness and be flowing of living water. <laughs> Beautiful, isn't it? Awesome. So you can see it's all over what we're seeing here that God is telling us that to, if you want the seal, if you want to be the ones that are sealed, you're going to be the faithful bride that is showing when I return that you are walking in the way that I've asked you to walk. The standard, his instructions of how to live. And you're abiding in them, and I abide in you. So the seal of Elohim is truth, Emmet. John 16, 13 says, But when he, the spirit of Emmet, comes... He, the truth, will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He's going to teach you truth because he is truth. <laughs> so 2 Corinthians 1.22 says, Who also sealed us and gave us the spirit of truth in our hearts as a pledge. Ephesians 1.13, in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Because truth has now come into your life and you're going to live by truth. Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. <laughs> I hope in the things that I've showed that it is very clear what that ceiling is and what it encompasses. What's it about? Now let's talk about who gets it. I want to show, we, we talk about it when we're doing the prayer, but I'm going to bring it up to you. Here's another ceiling. Ezekiel 9.1. He cried out in my hearing with a loud voice saying, Draw near, O executioners of the city each with his destroying weapon. Remember Revelation, they're about to pour out all these wraths and bowls and trumpets of all the destruction that's going to come. But before that happens, a ceiling takes place. You've got to separate the ones who are not going to be harmed from the people who are going to get harmed. And that's what happens here. He said, Behold, six men came from the direction of the upper gate, with which faces north, each with his shattering weapon in his hand. And among them was a certain man clothed in linen. With, why is he wearing linen? with a writing case in his loins, and they went in and stood beside the bronze altar. Then the glory of Elohim of Israel went up from the cherub on which it had been at, to the threshold of the temple, and he called to the man clothed in linen at whose loins was the writing instrument. And Yahuwah said to him, Go through the midst of the city, even through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark, that's the Hebrew letter Tav, it's not a word, it's a letter, on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over the abominations which are being committed in its midst. But to the others, he said in my hearing, go through the city after him and strike. Do not let your eye have pity 
and do not spare. Utterly slay old men, young men, maidens, little children and women, who do not, but do not touch any man on whom has the mark, the top. And you shall start from my sanctuary. So they started with the elders who were before the temple. By the way, Ralphie mentioned in his study that God starts with his house and his people, not the world. He starts with his people first. So Revelation 9.3 says, Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth. Power was given them, as scorpions of the earth have power. They were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of Elohim on their foreheads. Man, that's like a mirror of what we just read in Ezekiel. God's sparing the people who have the mark. And they're going to seek death. They're not going to be able to get away from that. Isaiah 8.16 says, Bind up the witnesses, seal the Torah among my taught ones, and I shall wait on Yahuwah, who hides his face from the house of Yaakov, and I shall look for him. Look, I and the children whom Yahuwah has given me for signs and wonders in Israel from Yahuwah Zevaot, who dwells in Mount Zion. Hmm. Sealing going on. But who? Revelation 7, 9 says, And after these things I look, and behold, a great multitude, every nation. Let's look at this word, nation. I'm sorry. We're actually going to look at, in Revelation 5, 9, the word tribe. Because both of these, Revelation 7, 9, Revelation 5, 9, both talk about tribes, nations, tongues, and peoples. So we're going to look at tribe first. A tribe. In the New Testament... All the persons descended from one of the twelve of the patriarchs of Jacob. Huh. So now we're seeing that tribe is literally the Israelites. Okay, so that's one of the, of the group. Let's see if it continues telling us who they are. Tongue. The word glossa. It says the tongue, the language used by a particular people that's distinct from that of all the other nations. What language, yeah, what language is that that's distinct from everyone else? Hebrew. That's right, Hebrew. People, it's this word leos, in the Septuagint more than 1,500, I'm sorry, yeah, 1,500 times, it's for am, the Hebrew word for am, rarely for goy. It's a people, a tribe, a nation, all those who are of the same stock and language, especially the people of Israel. Wow, we've now got two of the groups of the four. It's telling us it's Israelites. Really? This, did I not put... Okay, so we've got... Here's tribe. Here's tongue. Here's people. And here's nation. Now I've got to show you this. The word for nation here is the word ethnos in the verse. And in this verse, it is a singular word, ethnos. And I have it highlighted in yellow. But notice in the definition of ethnos, it says that when it's used in the singular, it's specifically speaking of the Israelite people. 
Wow. So we've got all four instances, the tongues, the peoples, the tribes, and the nations, is talking about this mega multitude that are the people that God poured out His Spirit on in the 2000s, and they're all coming to Torah from Mesa and Arizona and from all these places, and, and, they're, and they're walking in the deeds of the Mosaic Law, they're being sealed on their heads, and they're all of the Israelite nation. Ooh-wee. And Ralphie said, it's not the world, it's not the people outside of covenant. We're talking about covenant people here. And so let's not get language misunderstood when God's showing us who this great multitude is, the tongues, the nations, the peoples, and the tribes. He's telling you in the Greek here, it's all the tribes of Israel, all the people who've said, you're my God, I'll be your people, and I'll walk in your ways. That's who the multitude is. And you can't get around it because the Greek language is telling you exactly who it is. And I love clarity. How many of you like clarity? Because if you're talking to your brothers and sisters that don't get it yet, you need to show them. This is what the scripture says, who's getting to come in here. <laughs> it's all Israelites. But churches would say, no, it's the people. of all, It's people that, you know, no. This is people that have accepted the yoke of the kingdom on them and said, I want the seal. I'm going to prove it by walking in his ways and I'm going to be a faithful bride. That's who's getting it. Pretty clear to me. All right. So a little bit about blood covenant. The symbolic covenant of blood friendship was between Elohim and Abraham's seed, the ones getting sealed. By the way, you've got to understand that the ones getting sealed here in Revelation are the ones that, that, that are coming in that he promised Abraham is going to be a number you can't count. Remember, Revelation says you can't count the number. He told Abraham, your, your kids are going to be so great you can't count them. He's looking forward to the day of Revelation way back here in Genesis. And in that seed were all the nations of the earth to have a blessing. Remember, God took the ten tribes and scattered them out all over so that it would be a big harvest. God had called on Abraham to surrender to him his only son in proof of his unfailing love. And when Abraham had stood that test of faith, Elohim had spared to him the proffered offering. It now remained for Elohim to transcend Abraham's proof of friendship and to spare not his own and only son, but to make him a sacrificial offering by means of which the covenant of blood friendship between Elohim and the true seed of Abraham, right here, might become a reality instead of a symbol. Oh, I'm so glad that it became a reality to me. Abraham had given to God of his own blood by the rite of circumcision in token of his desire for interunion with Elohim. Elohim was now to give of his blood in the blood of his son, for the reviving of the sons of Abraham in the blood of the eternal covenant. Now I say life because life is in the blood. So in the life of the eternal covenant, we've received that life of Yeshua, which is eternal life because we've accepted him and said, yes, I, I want you as my king. And I want to walk according to your terms. Then, in the fullness of time, there came down into this world he who from the beginning was one with Elohim and who now became one with man, becoming a sharer of the nature. 
He shared his nature with us when he raised that cup and says, this is my blood, you must drink it because if you take that blood, the life is in the blood and my life will now be imparted to you. So when we take that cup, it's not the blood, it's the life in the blood that's the big deal. The nature, the character, the essence of who he is. We were subject to death. We who, know, who longed for his life. Yeshua was there among men as the fulfillment of type and prophecy. To meet and to satisfy the holiest and, most, and the utmost yearnings of the human soul after that eternal life. In communion and union with Elohim. And the word became flesh, dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. In him was the life that the life that death could not destroy, life that could destroy death. And the life which was in him was the light, the guide, and the hope of men. Ooh, we that's so good. He came into his own. And they that were called his own received him not. But as many as received him, whether before they had been called his own or not, to them gave he the right to become children of God by becoming partakers of that life in his blood. Even to them that believe on his name, which were begotten, not of bloods, not by ordinary generation, in other words, not by lineage, nor of the will of the flesh, which men try to get it by their own standard, nor of the will of man, but of Elohim, having in his own blood the life of Elohim and the life of man. Yeshua the Messiah could make men sharers of the divine nature. How is it that we're able to walk in this Torah now? You've now partaken, you have now accepted and partaken of that life that's in that blood. And that divine nature is now in you, that's enabling you, that's equipping you. The spirit of truth is coming into you. That's because it's the spirit of the Yeshua that's coming into you and now is enabling you to walk. Why? Because God's going to keep his promise to Abraham, that's why. God's going to bring the kids in. He's going to keep his promise and his oath to Abraham. He's not going to fail. He told Abraham, I'm going to do it. God's going to keep his oath. And you're the evidences and witnesses, the testimony. Well, wait. What we learn about witness and testimony and assurance? You're the sealing of that promise. <laughs> it's like if he could show Abraham, Abraham, Abraham want to know what guarantee do I have? If he could show Abraham all the ceiling that's going on. Look, Abraham, look at the ceiling. Abraham doesn't have that square. If he's seen a seal, if it's God's seal, it's, it's the, the, that's, those are my kids. That's all my kids. Those people over there, Mesa, are my kids. Over there in that little congregation. Really? You're the witness of that ceiling, that you're his kids. But if you're his kids, what comes to you? As it says in the New Testament, all the promises, all the covenants. The whole Torah, the temple service, and the land. The land is your inheritance. You get to get land. Not just any land. This is the land of the Most High God. It's His real estate that you get to have. I mean, 
The devil wants it. All, everybody else wants it. But it's yours. And they're not going to get it. Because it's your inheritance. So would you stand with me? So he made us sharers of that divine nature by making us sharers of his own nature. And this was the truth, the emmet of emmets, which he declared to those who he instructed. Father, I want to thank you so much for the realization, for the enlightenment, Father, of what the sealing is, who's being sealed, what's going on here, and how important it is that you sent your son to die for us, that that blood shared that we partake of at Passover is literally the, the life of your son, the life of the creator of heaven and earth is coming into us and he is abiding in us and we are abiding in him. It's an, an exchange of life, an exchange of nature. And so Father, I thank you that we've been transformed through that life, through that blood. And I thank you that you've set that plan into stage way back with Abraham and the adversary didn't even see it coming. I thank you that you are way above the schemes of of Hasatan, way above the schemes of man, and that, Father, you have, as Bob said, you have our back, and we don't have to worry. So we thank you for who you are, shepherd of Israel. May you be magnified and glorified. In Yahushua's name we give thanks. Amen. Now we get to say, Shabbat Thank you all here. Have a blessed rest of your Shabbat. Shabbat Shalom.